morning. I want to issue a special welcome. I know we have a couple different visitors with us this morning. We're glad you chose to be with us and that we'll get to see you. Uh, we ask that you fill out a visitor's card if you haven't already and uh, stick around so we can talk to you and get to know you a little better, but we're glad you decided to be with us. On Sunday mornings the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about uh, this idea of transformation, uh, about how we should be changed as Christians. And as well-timing, as many of you have now discovered that my wife and I have a 10-month-old son uh, around whom our life tends to revolve. Uh, we always joke when family comes to see us, we're like, oh, your family's in town to see you guys. No, they're not here to see us. We, we know who they're here to see, and it is not her, and it is not me. But uh, as I get further and further down this road of parenthood, I, I find myself thinking more and more about the things my own parents said to me growing up. You know, uh, and over and over they said things like, well, when you're older, you will understand, right? That was a big player at our house. That and because I said so. I don't know how your households are run, but those were, those were daily, daily utterances at our house growing up. But, but as I'm going through this, I'm thinking about uh, just parenthood and my own experience as a child. And, and people tell you things about parenthood. Um, I've heard over and over from other parents, older parents, younger parents, they say, oh, having a kid will change your life. And I want to kind of tie that to what we talked about, about transformation, and this will make a little bit more sense in a second. But they, they've been saying over and over, oh, it'll just change your life. And I've been thinking about that and just sort of racking that around in my brain. I'm like, well, I still have a job, still have bills that have to be paid, I still... Got to be in school. I got to finish school. So I got to buy groceries. I'm like, hey, what's you know? So what does it mean when they say it's going to change your life? Well, it's not like we got uprooted and moved to India or Japan or something. Right? Our, our life didn't just completely change. But I've been thinking, well, our priorities probably mostly have changed. We we still pay the bills, but the bills that get paid first might be a little different. We we still go to the grocery store, but what we take out of the grocery store looks a little different. A lot more Cheerios and goldfish in our pantries than I used to be. And so I've been thinking about just this idea of like when they, when they say your life changes, they, they obviously don't mean that you snap your fingers and everything's just all suddenly upside down. Well, it is for a different reason. But what matters maybe is what changes. Your priorities change. Little things change. Little behaviors. Little, little patterns here and there. Little actions and I want us to think about that and turn your Bibles to John 10. This is going to be an odd segue, but stick with me and it will make sense, I promise. Turn to John 10, verse 7. We've read this section many times as we've talked about transformation. Or we've kind of referenced it in passing. But, but I want to take a deeper dive this morning into this and one other verse. And we'll start with a John 10, beginning in verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Other translations in verse 10 would say more abundantly, or one even says more fulfilling. And I, and I think about this because I think 
Much like becoming a parent, being a Christian is one of those things that will change your life, or it should. And I want us to talk about that a little bit this morning, because I think if we're doing this correctly, it should be this thing that really dramatically changes our life. Like I said, much like having a child, but in a very different way, it changes what our priorities are. It changes our behaviors. It changes maybe how we speak or how we interact with other people. It, it, it's these little changes that just sort of look different. And what Jesus says in, in John 10, verses 7 through 10, is he, he says, I have come so that they may have more abundant life. And much like that idea of a totally changed life and becoming a parent, I've been thinking about that phrase of what it means to have a, an abundant life. Jesus says here that he, he imbues our, our current, our, our on-earth life with meaning. That apart from Jesus, our life doesn't have the same meaning. It doesn't have the same purpose. It doesn't have the same value. And that when we are a Christian, we, we have an abundant sense of fulfillment in our lives. Jesus uses this phrase a lot, actually. If you look through the New Testament, he says in, uh, in just about every gospel, he says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And the original word in that, in that passage from Matthew is actually very similar to what he says here in terms of abundantly. It's to have it completely, to have it more filled up, to have it to the fullest extent. And he told them that because those Old Testament prophecies says, no, I'm not saying they're not true. I'm not doing away with them. He says, I'm, I'm coming to fulfill the law to its fullest purpose. And in the same way, he tells us he has come to, to fill our life's purpose up to, to the greatest extent. When I think of abundance, I also think of happiness, contentment. Joy, and not in a worldly or material sense, as we've been talking about a couple times on Sunday nights, the, the contrast between worldly and material success versus spiritual. But, but Jesus says he has come to give our life a sense of abundance. To, being a Christian should give us a newfound happiness, contentment, joy in life. I think all the time about those stories I would hear from waitstaff at restaurants. You want to know what the worst crowd is at a restaurant? It's Sunday afternoon. I'm not making that up. That's from my own first-hand experience, second-hand experience. And it always kind of it, it bothered me in the back of my brain. Like, how can people leaving church go out and be so unhappy? When we're here, I mean, the, 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 what little time we're in this building, we should at least, on if no other time during the week, we should at least on Sunday be able to leave here with the reminder, with the encouragement that... Being a Christian gives us a new sense of abundant life. It gives us a sense of happiness and of contentment that we cannot find other places. And in a third sense, it gives us eternal life. And that's why he says, more specifically here in this passage, he says, I am the gate, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. It is through Jesus that we have eternal life. So we have a life that is abundant in this sort of time-oriented sense. And I love this, this verse because I feel like it really explains what we've been talking about in another way with transformation. That when, when Jesus comes into our lives and we are a part of him, 
He gives us abundant life. And so in the same way that a, a parent will make different decisions throughout their week because of their child, there are moments in our lives that our faith should affect the decisions we make. And I almost fear that because of worldly pressure, peer pressure, external influences, we're almost afraid to say our faith is why we do something. If you're someone who struggles with your language, for example, and I, uh, I've seen this happen. If you go into work one day and you just stop using what we might say colorful language, you do that a few days, your coworkers will probably notice, depending on how severe of a problem it was. And if you tell them, well, I've just got kids, I've got grandkids around, I'm just trying to do better, they, you know, like, okay. No. Tell them it's because of your faith and watch their reaction. Tell them, well, I'm changing this part of my life, I'm improving this part of my life, I'm working on this aspect of myself directly because of my faith and the life that I am called to live. And see, see how that goes over with people. Because I feel like as Christians, we almost shy away from really saying that's why we're doing things. But Jesus tells us that he comes to give us abundant life. And that idea of an abundant life should look different than a life that, that is without. I want to really just look at two scriptures this morning. I'm breaking the cardinal sin. This isn't a three-point sermon or a three-scripture sermon. There's just two extra long ones. I can add a third if it makes people feel better, but I figure we have lunch plans. So we'll, we'll keep going along here. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is another verse in verse 17 that we've, we've mentioned in passing a few times, but I wanted to take a chance to, to dive deeper into. And we'll spend the rest of our time here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 17. I'm sorry, verse 16. I'm going to begin reading in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So verse 17, like I said, is probably the part of that that's really familiar to us that we've mentioned in passing several times. But I, I don't miss verse 16 here because he sets this up for a reason. The wording might be a little strange. It might seem kind of odd, but the message is very important. He says, from now on, we regard no one according to, or some translation would say, we regard no one after or as to the flesh. And after looking at a bunch of English translation of this little turn of phrase, this expression, I really like the way the, the NIV says this. And it says, we, we regard no one from a human or worldly point of view. Paul acknowledges that he says, before I was a Christian, I viewed people differently. He, he says, I viewed men. He says, I even viewed Christ in a worldly, fleshly way. This idea of fleshly knowledge or fleshly confidence, worldly confidence, is something Paul talks about a lot. In Philippians 3, he says, if anyone has confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he goes on to talk about his pedigree and all the things that he thought were important, his standing, his, his position among the religious elite, and how he took so much pride in those things before he knew Jesus. He was talking about things that used to be important to him, 
he's talking about really his priorities to kind of tie it to what we were talking about earlier. He, he's, he's telling us, he's almost confessing to us that when I met somebody, I would judge certain aspects of them because certain things mattered to me before I was a Christian. And he even says, I used to regard Christ this way. We know the Pharisees really dismissed Jesus. They didn't recognize him for who he was as the Savior. They missed the point because they were focused on earthly things. They didn't look at how God viewed people, but they had built their own standards and their own regulations and their own really entire structure of legalism. And they said, we're going to judge you by our standards. And Paul says, I used to be this way. They would judge Jesus by things like how well and exacting he kept the Sabbath and if his apostles plucked the grain or if they rolled it or if they didn't eat it. They would look at, well, did you really keep the Passover in accordance with the, the exacting nature of how we understand it. And Paul says to do that, to participate in that level of, of really legalistic nature that even the religious elite at the time practiced, he said to engage in that was to view the world in a fleshly, human way. But he says now, but now, and he's telling you there's a change. He's telling you, now I do not regard anyone this way. And he says, once we've become Christians, once we have dedicated our life to Christ, the way we view people and the way we judge people fundamentally changes. What we value changes. And if you call yourself a Christian, the way you view and judge the people of the world has to change. And when I think about this just in the context of, uh, of people and almost what it means to, for human life to have value, if you, if you follow me for a second here, if I don't believe in God, if I don't believe in a creator of the universe, if I don't believe in a master and a commander who has called me to live a certain way, I don't really have a reason to think I'm special. Unless, unless I really place emphasis on what I've done for myself. Right? Then, I, then I can say, well, uh, I gave myself value. I put myself here. I've earned the special place that I have in life or the value that I have as a person. I've earned that. But if you believe in God, that should mean acknowledging that I am not what gives me value. God is. And that when I look at other people, I don't get to decide whether or not they have value. I don't get to judge whether they meet the standards of what I think a person should be or if they fit my ideas of how I think someone should live. I view them the way God would view them. I view them according to His standards. Romans 2.11 tells us that God shows no partiality. There is no Jew, no Greek, nor slave, nor free, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. We believe that it is God who gives our lives meaning. And Paul says, I used to judge people by that standard, by the things that were important to people of the world, and now I no longer view people that way. And in verse 17, he says, I, this has changed within me because, because if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. 
when we look at Paul's story and we think about how Paul lived, the message that Paul gives people when he's going from church to church in Acts and he's spreading the gospel and he's preaching the word and he's going into every house and he's, he's really evangelizing and bringing people and winning souls, his message works because Paul is someone who used to live one way and he encountered Jesus and his life afterward looked radically different. There was an internal spiritual change but that caused such a transformation that the people around him, the people outside of him, the people could see Paul, and they said, that is a different man. He is changed. Paul encountered Jesus, and his life afterwards looked radically different. And I think the problem is, the problem is that as Christians, sometimes, sometimes we have encountered Jesus, and our life goes on looking exactly the same. We still judge people by human standards. We still assess and value things that people of the world value. We still look at the world the way people of the world look at people. But the scripture calls us to say, if you have really had an encounter with Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, then you can't be that way anymore. If we read Romans... We read Romans, another of, of Paul's letter. He, he talks about this idea of the old and new creation over and over. And he says, he, he doesn't just say that we're transformed. He doesn't just say that we've changed. He actually uses the exact expression that the old has died and the new has come. That's what he says right here. That the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He says it's not just a, a software update that has to happen. I think sometimes we come to the text and we, we kind of look at ourselves and we say, well, I'm, I can change this and I can change this, but I have this thing over here. This is, this is not negotiable. I don't, I don't know if I can change that. And Paul says, no, God calls us to bring everything. And he, and he calls us to be changed because he says the, the person who used to go to those places, who used to do those things, who used to talk that way, who used to act that way, Paul tells us that person should be dead. And I think sometimes we kind of want to live two lives. We don't really want to put them in the casket and have the funeral, if you know what I mean. We want, to, we want to be in Christ, but we want to be in our old self a little bit. And though Paul says that has passed away, that is dead. He says, whoever you were, regardless of how terrible or how good or, or what sort of position you thought you had in society before, he said, none of that matters. Says that person is dead. Now, when you are in Christ, you are a different creature. And I, and I think this idea that we can't just update where we are, but we must actually die to our sin and be born again, I think that distinction is important. I've, I had an old, old Windows laptop. I'll give you a little bit of an illustration. I had an old Windows laptop. I got it when I was a sophomore in high school. And I had my 10-year reunion a couple years ago, if that gives you an idea. I know some of you are looking at me and you're like, oh, you're so young. But, okay, it's 29. I'm starting to feel old. <laughs> so I have this laptop I've had for like a century and a half. And I'm, and I'm in school still, and I'm starting to have more and more things that, like, don't run on it. And I remember when I first got it, they put, like, Vista or whatever on it. And then they said, well, we can get you 7, and I get set up with 7. And then, of course, Windows being a company, every few months they're trying to sell me the newest one. I'm like, I don't want the newest one because I don't like change. All right, we just discussed that. We've got a 10-year-old laptop. <laughs> and 
And so for months, they're like, oh, you need the new thing. You need the new thing. You need the new thing. I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't want that. I just figured out what I have, okay? And so like five more years goes by. And now I'm in class, and they say, hey, get this concordance software. Hey, get this new version of Office. Hey, get this thing. And I'm like, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. And so I've, I'm feeling the pressure in terms of trying to keep up with the software game. And I finally, I go to the, I call up somebody from Microsoft, and I say, hey, I've got this laptop. It was made in 2011. I'd like to put this version of Windows on it so I can do stuff for school. Like, we can't do that. Like, what do you mean? Just, you know, you guys are trying to get me to update it forever. Just update it, put the, the 10, put the new programs on it. And he's like, no, 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 sir. Your, your thing is so old, we can't even update it to get you to run the new things. If you need that stuff for class, you're going to need a new computer. And if you see where I'm going with this, God says your former way of living is so much lower, is so different, is so radically unrighteous and unclean and unsalvageable that I can't throw parts at it, I can't update it, I can't change it, I can't just install some new firmware. He says, I need you to be a whole new creation. But I think sometimes we get tied in this idea of updates. We say, well, I can change this about my life, but I don't really want to change this. I have this secret sin that I'm holding on to that I'm, I'm still dealing with that I haven't really figured out. And you know what? I kind of want to be in Christ, but I still kind of want to hold on to this, this thing. And God says, no, I need you to be a whole new creation. I'll give you a shorter, much shorter illustration. I worked for a tractor shop down in North Alabama for a long time. And this guy had this very, very old Yanmar three-cylinder tractor that he would tool around his farm with. In weeks, we're dealing with this guy. We're replacing parts, we're replacing parts, we're replacing parts. I think we rebuilt this guy's little three-cylinder engine like three times. And finally, my boss, the guy who owns the shop, he calls him and he says, look, you can keep giving us money to keep throwing parts at it, but you're going to need a new tractor. And if you're like me and you have those little projects in your garage that you sort of tool around with and just sort of throw money. Uh, some people call them boats. I think other people call them money pits. At a certain point, you got to start new. You can keep throwing good money after bad. You can keep pouring your time and your energy into something that doesn't work. Or you can accept that Jesus has called us to an abundant life. A life that is fulfilling. A life that is new. A life that leads to eternal life. When I talked to people, and I was talking to this young couple in this marriage counseling class, and they were talking about their own spiritual backgrounds and how they grew up, and they said, well, like our, our parents were, you know, you ask people, so were your parents in the church? And they're like, eh, usually that means a polite no, right? <laughs> um, and they talked about how, like, well, they would, they would, if you asked them, they would say they were Christian, but I, I didn't get that in the way they lived certain things. And he was talking specifically about his parents. And I think we all know people just like that. Who maybe, you know, when you were young, you were really, really on fire and you were all plugged in and just kind of fizzled out. Or maybe you, you came to, to, to Christ as an adult and you got all plugged into the church and then, you know, kids and work and jobs and things and it just, life happens. And somewhere along the way, our faith became a box that we check when we get asked a survey. Or maybe it's, it's something we do for a whole hour on Sunday morning. 
but it doesn't really affect Monday through Saturday. I've mentioned this before in our Bible study class, but in one of my youth ministry classes, they say that one of the biggest reasons that children fall away from their parents' faith is they do nothing outside of in the building structured church services. That kids see what their parents do Monday through Saturday and they say, well, then I don't, you can't tell me something is important and then do it once a week for an hour. You can't tell me something means something to you when it doesn't impact six of the seven days in your week. This is the level of transformation that we are called to. And I say I think we all know somebody like that because I think if we're being really deeply honest with ourselves, we have all been somebody like that. Where we were going through a phase of our life where we were unplugged. Where we didn't really connect. Where we were kind of checking a box. Where we treated our Christianity like a two to three hour a week part time job. And we'd show up and we'd clock in and we'd go home and we'd live the rest of our life. But God does not call us to compartmentalization. He calls us to abundant life. He says, I will make you into something so much greater than you could ever imagine if you'll let me. In that verse we read at the beginning, in John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. God is calling you to a new life, a new way of doing things that is so much greater than what you're doing. If you are someone who this idea of the life is foreign to you, if you are on the outside, you do not need to be that way any longer. If this information is for you, won't you